Exodus 21 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We're going to jump down to 13. You shall not murder. Thanks. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is uh, to come before your word. God, we come asking uh, for humility, asking that you would open our hearts to your word. God, may we, uh, even as Maya just taught us, may we know that we can run to your arms, no matter who's watching, uh, that we can cling to you, that we can come to you as our, our parent, our heavenly father, and we can rest in your presence. God, may we find comfort today. May we find conviction today. May we in your presence, may you sanctify us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. In our uh, modern world, we use a lot of things that are disposable, don't we? They make life easier. If you're trying to have a, a fast food meal in the car or a picnic out somewhere or just trying not to have to do so many dishes, it's nice to have disposable plates and cups and utensils sometimes, isn't it? Because you can just use it and throw it away and there's no cleanup. And it's a lot, a lot easier. In our modern world of being able to buy seemingly almost everything online, I'm grateful for disposable packaging that when I push order on my phone, sitting on my couch a couple of days later, uh, Amazon has, has taken whatever that thing was, put it in a, a box that's a one-time use box and put some plastic with air in it somehow in these little bag things. I don't know how they do that. But uh, a couple days later, I go to my front porch, and there it is, and I can take it out. I can, I can take those little plastic air things that kept my stuff safe. I can cut them up, put them in the trash can, throw them away, and I can wrap up that cardboard box, put it in the recycling thing, and I'm done with it. It, it did its job. It, was, it, was, it got the thing to my doorstep safely, and I can enjoy it, and now I can get rid of the excess. It's disposable. It was useful, but it's not valuable, right? It's disposable. It's dispensable. It's expendable, right? There are other things in life, many possessions you have that are valuable. So your car, your phone, your, your house, these things are possessions. They're still just things, but they have value to them. They have a, a, a worth to them. So you're not upset if, uh, if you lose a cardboard box or if somebody you know, steals a, some, some plastic ware, some utensils from your house. But if somebody stole your car today, that would be upsetting. You would be frustrated because that, that's valuable to you. It, it means something to you. You, you, you have picked out that car and, and it, it's functional to you and you use it a lot and it's worth a lot so you take good care of it and whatever else. That is it's valuable. But still, hopefully you've got good insurance and while having a stolen car would be frustrating and drive you crazy and all kinds of other questions, hopefully you could get it replaced. It, it's, it's replaceable. It's valuable, but it's not irreplaceable. There are other things in life that are valuable, but not just because they have monetary value. They, they have min, sentimental value. They mean something to you. They are priceless. So if you have a, a grandmother's wedding ring or some old photo album that you, you wouldn't trade for anything. It doesn't matter. It's not money. It doesn't matter what the, the, the actual gold is worth in your grandmother's wedding ring. It's, it's her wedding ring, and you hold on to it, not because it's worth a few hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars even. It, it means something to you. So we would say that is priceless, right? It has value beyond just the, the monetary value. It's priceless. Similarly, museums hold, hold original works of art by some you know, famous painters, and they keep those things. Or other places hold original documents, like the original Declaration of Independence or, or the Constitution. That, that piece of paper the Declaration of Independence written on, was written on probably not worth anything, right? In and of itself, it has no, no real value. But because of what it means to our history, it's 
priceless. You couldn't buy the original Declaration of Independence. I didn't Google that. I assume you can't buy that. I don't know. But anyway, they're, they're, it's priceless. It's beyond a, a monetary value. But all those things are nothing compared to something else in God's creation. God, who created all the world, he took one thing, one set of things, so to speak, and he says this has more value than any work of art, any original uh, piece of work, any historical document, anything from any kind of archaeological find, more valuable teenagers even than your phone. I know it's hard to believe, but this is even more valuable than your phone. And it is human life. Our lives, the lives of the person sitting next to you and behind you, the people you passed on the way here on the road and maybe screamed at as they were cutting you off or whatever else, our lives, people's lives are beyond just valuable, beyond just priceless. They are holy. They are sacred. Life itself, human life, is sacred. Today we come to the sixth command in our series through the Ten Commandments. And we come to this one which just simply says, You shall not murder. And this is a pretty big change of pace. If you've been following along, if you just look in Exodus 20, it's a pretty big change of pace from the way each of the commands before this have read. Most of them have more than one sentence or at least lots of clauses, and they, they all kind of explain and emphasize things in different ways. And this is a, a pretty abrupt change. And in the Hebrew, it would be even more abrupt. It's just two words. It's literally no murder. After all he has to say, then it's just boom, no murder. Pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? This week I've joked a few times that I've really got to work hard in my sermon this week because I've got to convince people that murder's wrong, right? This week, this week as I, I came to this, like we've seen all the way through each of these commands, it's more than just a, a, a simple surface-level obedience. Each of these commands, this is God's top ten. This, there's a reason these are here and a reason God and Christ in the New Testament referred back to these over and over again. They, they have a, a deep meaning. They have a major significance for our lives because they teach us something about who God is and they teach us something about who we are in Him how He intended for us to live, who He intends for us to be. So this morning I have, usually I've got multiple, for you, but if you've got a bulletin, I've got just one point for you, just one, and it's this. Life is sacred, not dispensable. Life is, life is sacred, not dispensable. Plastic forks, paper plates, plastic cups, your coffee cup that you got on the way in, those are dispensable. You can throw them away. You cannot, you shall not, please do not. Throw away a human life. Your life, human life, is sacred. Your neighbor's life is sacred. Your friend's life is sacred. Your family's life is sacred. Your life, it is sacred. So my challenge to you today, for all of us, and for our world, is do you, do we treat life as sacred? Do we treat life as holy? Is it beyond priceless, beyond just valuable? Do we treat it as God sees it, as sacred? Of all the commands so far, this is the first one that's also included in our country's command. You can't get arrested today or this week if, if the, the police look up and say, uh, Sir, you haven't taken a day off of work in seven days? You haven't taken a Sabbath? So we're taking you to jail. No, you don't get arrested for that. But this one makes it into our country, and I assume most countries. I don't know of any country that doesn't have that against the law. It should be, right? All of us agree, it's pretty easy to agree, that murder itself is wrong. But what's unique about the Bible's command against murder is why it's wrong. Why God's word, why God himself sees taking somebody's life, murdering somebody as wrong. 
In our society, there's, you know, I don't know what arguments people make outside the church, but maybe, you know, just for the good of society, we probably shouldn't have people killing each other and some kind of basic ethical dilemma about, you know, your life, my life, that kind of thing. But in the Bible, there's a very deep meaning, a very deep reason for why taking somebody's life, murdering somebody is wrong. And that's this. We are created in the image of God. We are created in God's image. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uniquely, in all of creation, there is nothing else. No animal, no plant, no mountain. Nothing else is said to be made in God's image. Humans and humans alone are created in the image of God. To be made in God's image means a lot of things. We are unique in that we're the only people with with a conscience, only beings with a, with a conscience. We're only only people that have some kind of spiritual capacity, and there's lots of things that are unique to humanity. But biblically, to be created in God's image, we could boil it down to this: We are the ones whom God loves. We are the ones whom God loves. All of the universe declares His glory. The the, the faraway galaxies that we'll never see, the the stars, the sun, the planet, the moons. Uh, everything on earth, the mountains, the rivers, all the animals, everything in creation declares God's glory. But we and we alone, humanity, people, we and we alone are the ones whom He loves. We have a unique place in the heart of God. The climax of God's creation on the sixth day, we are created in God's image. That's why life has value. That's why life, why God looks at us and says, do not take, do not murder somebody else. Do not take their life. There is no equal comparison, no human comparison to, to what God, how God views us. The closest maybe is, is a parent to a child. We look at our children and we say, there's, there's just something ingrained in us. There's just something we love about our children, something we can't help. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is, this is part of me. And we look at our child and we say, I, I love you. No matter what, no matter what happens, I, I, I love you. How much more does our Creator love the images He's created, the ones He has created? He has given a specific purpose and value, and we are, in his, we are made in His image, and we have value. There are plenty of reasons against murder in our secular society, but uniquely in the Bible, there is no more profound reason to preserve and value and keep sacred human life than that we are created in God's Image. We've noticed a few times going through these commands that if you break any of the commands, you also break the first command. And so it is here with the sixth command. One of the reasons that we are called not to murder is that we do not have the authority over life and death. God and God alone has that authority. So if we take somebody else's life, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. The first command is you shall have no other gods before me. If we take somebody's life, we murder somebody, we're saying, I'm God. I'm God. I decide life and death. And so therefore we break the first commandment. We've titled this series Grace and Law because I hope as we go through these, as we've seen these, that you, you recognize that these are not just meant to be uh, beat you down kind of rules that, that force your obedience. These are meant to be a gift from God to us. The, the command against murder is a gift to God, from God to us because it's telling us about the value of human life. It's telling us about who we are and how God sees us. This is a gift to us that God values your life. Your life is not throwaway. It's not dispensable. It's not exposable. It's not expendable. God values your life. And we see that in the sixth command. Every day we interact with people at home, work, restaurants, drive through, driving down the road, wherever else. In all of our everyday interactions, we have the opportunity 
to look at other people, other people created in God's image, and we have the option. We can treat them as dispensable. As this is a one-time interaction, I'm never going to see you again. Or I see you all the time, but I'm going to treat you like I'm not going to see you again. Or like it doesn't matter. We can treat people as dispensable, or we can see them the way God sees them. And that is sacred, holy, having some value far beyond anything else of this world. Their life is sacred. How we treat others is a reflection of how, what we think of God himself. God, we are created in God's image. So the way we treat one another reflects how we treat and what we think of God. Do you see people as sacred? Do you see them as holy, as having value and worth? C.S. Lewis had a message called The Weight of Glory, and he wrote this. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are all mortal. And their life compared to ours is like the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom, with, with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, or exploit. There are no mortals. We have a sacred and human, uh, the human life is sacred. When we look at another person, we should recognize that, that, verse, that, that value and that worth just based on them being human, not based on what they've done or what they haven't done. Your worth in God's eyes, your value in His, in His mind is not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on your sins. It's not based on the laws you have broken of our country. Your view in God's eyes is you are in His image. And that's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. It doesn't matter with the people around you what language they speak or what color their skin is or what they have or haven't done wrong or right. Doesn't matter how much money they have, what job they have, doesn't matter how much they know or what they don't, don't know, they are still created in the image of God. Doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how pretty they are. Praise God for that. He's, we are still in God's image. I wonder if you treat people that way. Do you treat people as sacred, as holy, or do you treat them as dispensable? Beyond our day-to-day -day interactions, it's, it's worth noticing some ways our culture treats people as dispensable. It, it breaks our hearts. It's, it, it should break our hearts to realize that we live in a world. The, the, the air we breathe in our culture is that human life is not sacred. It is dispensable, at least when certain people say it is, right? We live in a world that treats life as dispensable. Perhaps the clearest and starkest way that our culture does not value life is that abortion is legal in our country. It has been since 1973. Now, I, I know I'm looking at a room of people that I don't know all your stories, so I, I don't know where you've come from. If you have personally had an abortion or somebody you love or you are part of encouraging somebody to have an abortion, the first thing you need to hear is that God is a God of grace and a God of love and a God of healing and a God of reconciliation. And that if you have brokenness, you can find healing no matter what your past has been, including an abortion. If you hold responsibility in that, you can be forgiven. God calls us to repentance, and he offers healing. I also know that just mentioning the word abortion is like touching one of the greatest political hot-button issues in the world, and I'm afraid the world's going to explode if I just say that in church, right? But I, I have no, no political agenda, only, only a Christ-honoring agenda. I'm not trying to make a political statement one way or the other. I simply want to say that abortion breaks the sixth command because it does not treat human life as valuable. It treats it as dispensable, as disposable. And we know that Psalm, because of Psalm 139 and other places throughout Scripture, but God's Word tells us He formed us. It says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's such a beautiful picture 
of the intricate care and concern that God has for human life, so much so that his own fingers, so to speak, are at work in knitting yourselves together in human life. Many of you having children in the last you know, few decades or so have witnessed an ultrasound. Or we, we, one of Amber's siblings, uh, his, his, her brother's sister is pregnant right now. We got the, to hear the, the recording of the child's heartbeat this week. What, what is it, like eight, ten weeks old? Eight, ten weeks of pregnancy they are? I mean, just very early on, God is at work knitting people together. God has made us in His image. And so that life, even from a very, very early stage, is honored. It's sacred. It's holy. Because God's the one for me. That is a countercultural viewpoint today. About 60%. I mean, you can Google whatever statistics you want. But my, what I found, about, about 60% of people believe abortion should be legal. And has been pretty consistent in the last few decades, ever since 1973. And the numbers of abortions are just staggering, just staggering. We are, we are our, our country, I mean, it's most, many countries around the world, but our, our country alone, we, we're missing an entire generation. Millions and millions of people that are not here because of an abortion. It, it, the numbers are actually way higher than this. I tried to pick the most conservative estimate, so I didn't like, use hyperbole and over-exaggerate things. But... In 2019, the abortions that were just reported to the CDC in 2019 were 629,898 629,000 people. That's a number I couldn't get my head around. So that's, that's 1,725 a day or 72 every hour. 72 every hour. It comes out to like once every 50 seconds. Once every 50 seconds, just in our country. Just in our country. It's a, it's a genocide. It's, it's a genocide in our country against people who have no voice, who have no voice, that cannot speak for themselves. And it's not, yeah, it's awful. But perhaps you're aware that for the first time in a long time, there is a very real chance that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. The Supreme Court heard arguments in December in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And by the line of questioning from the justices, lots of people are speculating, there's a very real chance that Roe v. Wade could either be significantly changed or potentially even overturned. Again, I'm not a political person. I'm not here. But we can pray. We can pray that this would not be the law of our land anymore, that we would not be a people who willingly lets human life be taken away. So we can stand against abortion. We can stand and say, this isn't okay. This is not the nation we want to be. It's not who we want to be. No matter the size, what's the Dr. Seuss, Seuss line? Something like a child, a life is a life no matter how small, something like that. No matter how big, we, we value human life. I think it is worth, as Christians, also just being, being thorough, being consistent. We don't, we don't want any life to be taken away. And so it's, it's worth, in our medically advanced society, considering how other ways this may be showing up, other treatments and other things going on. Uh, Abortion is the thing that gets, the, gets the, the headlines, but what else is going on that, that may be terminating human life, maybe even without us knowing it? I'm not a doctor, and I'm not here to give a biology lesson, but I, I do know that people define conception at different points. So we as Christians, I, I, I won't presume that on you, but I define human life beginning at conception, but people define distinguish, some people argue about or just pick different points to say when conception ha happens. So I'll just give you personal. This is just me. I, I personally hold that, that conception happens at fertilization. 
That's that moment. That's the beginning of human life. Because that's when that's the first cell, the very first cell. I want to want to protect that cell. Because God brought it together. God brought it together. And I raise that now because I think what we learned, at least as we got married, is that we, we don't always get the full story about exactly how every form of birth control works. So just ask good questions. Do your homework. Be thorough. Be consistent. My conscience just couldn't rest with certain forms of birth control that may allow fertilization but not, uh, not allow the fertilized egg being implanted. I also struggle with, just again, this is, this is controversial and you know, take it or leave it, but I, I struggle with frozen embryos, which of which there are about a million in the United States that are frozen in different places around the world. Uh, Abortion is what makes the, the, the news and the political speech, but just let's be consistent. Let's do our homework. Let's, add, let's value all human life, and let's be really careful. Let's be really careful at the pre-birth proportion of life because it is still life. So Sixth Command has a lot to say about how we treat people before birth, before they actually get to breathe and see light. But it also has a lot to say about not treating people at the end of life as dispensable. There's a growing acceptance around the world, and it's coming into the United States, about, a, about medical euthanasia. And one commentator I noted, uh, read noted that in 2001, Netherlands became the first country to give legal status to a form of euthanasia. And they noted how ironic that was, tragically ironic, because just a generation before or so, during the Nazi invasion of the Netherlands, they were, the doctors there refused to obey Nazi orders to let elderly or terminally ill patients die without further treatment. And then one generation later, they were the people that were able, the first people to give approval, legal approval, to medical euthanasia. Our, our, in our medically advanced society, that can be a little bit blurry, the, the kind of the line toward the end of life. But let's be a people who says, I'm going to preserve life and honor life and value life. And if God so, and God, people will get to the end and say, I don't, I don't want any more treatment, that's okay. But let's not be the point, people that take human life. That's up to God, God alone. Life, life is sacred. Life has value. Life has meaning. Life is not disposable. And for some of you here today, may, maybe what you need to hear is, you're like, yeah, of course, we would never take a, a child's life. I would never take someone else's life. I, I want you to also hear this. Your life is valuable. Your life is sacred. Not just the people around you, but your life has meaning, has worth, has value. So do not let evil things tell you that, that you want to take your own life. So many of us have been affected either personally or in our circles by someone who's died from suicide. And that is a, a very, very difficult thing. And so if that's you, if, if God is, if, you, if through whatever circumstances and you're, you're tempted and you're questioning God, say, Come talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. I, I want you to hear your life has meaning, value, and worth. Please do not, please do not take your own life. Your life matters. So many of us have been through different versions of, of that. And I want you to know it takes courage. It's not cowardly. It's, it takes courage to admit you need help. You need help. So you can get it. We can help you. People can help you who have been walking there before. I pray that none of us would treat life as disposable, and instead all of us would treat life as sacred, as valuable, as having worth. That means in every part of life. So surely this command to murder tells us the things not to do, but then the flip side of it, it tells us things to do. If we're not supposed to take away human life, and as we've seen through each of these commands, there's a, a positive side to this, that as Christians we want to be people who support life, people who help life. So the opposite of, 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 of an abortion is to care for a child, right? As I said, this, there's a chance that this Supreme Court case gets switched, but even if it doesn't, there are hundreds of people in our county who need a home. 
who are in foster care. The quick numbers I could find from last year where there were 600, a little over six, 625 kids in foster care in Greenville County and 300 licensed foster parents. You do the math on where these kids can go. Where can they go? There are half a million people in our county. Half a million. There's 105 Baptist churches in the Greenville Baptist Association, not to mention all the other churches. We can be these people. We can take care of children. We can take care of those who need, who need help. The caseworker I talked to recently said the, the biggest need right now is teenagers. That's a hard group for people to accept in their home. But that's the need. That's the need. Let's be pro-life in every sense of the, of the form of, of, of the, what that means. So many times as we think about, uh, as that song sang a minute ago, we're not, not just what we're against, but what we're for. We want to be for life. That's in the uterus life. That's at the end of life. At the age of 2, age of 22, 102, whatever it is. We want to be for all of those lives. We want to be the people to care for others. If this case does get overturned, I don't know how this is going to work, but maybe there are hundreds, thousands of children who were born because abortion is no longer legal. Christians, want, we want to be the people that say, I, I hear you have an unplanned pregnancy. I know that's hard. Let, let's be the one to come around and say, I, I support you. Let me help you. Let me help you get to the doctor. Let me help take care of you. Let me, what do you need to take care of this baby? If the, child, if the, the parents so say, I, I just can't do it. We're just not in the place. Well, let us be the ones to say, we'll, we'll take him. We'll take him. That's, that's obeying the sixth command. <laughs> that's obeying the sixth command. To love children. Not just ask that they would not be killed, but love them. There are countless other ways our society struggles with this, isn't it? We, we have a hard time supporting life sometimes, whether it be refugees or immigrants or criminals. We, we think of justice, and there's good, right? There's good and meaning and value to a, a society with good laws, and uh, we support that, that they're properly enforced. We don't want to take good laws and then use it as a way of treating people as not sacred, not valuable. We want to do both. God is a God of justice and a God who treats life as sacred. We can be that too. Life is valuable. Life has meaning. Let's be people who support life. Now, I do recognize that just bringing up sick command, there's a whole bunch of you know, exceptions that maybe were running through your mind even as I first started talking about taking human life. And I waited to now because I want you to see this in the context of being sacred. So exceptions you may think of, like what about uh, self-defense? Or what about war? Or what about capital punishment? And so if you want to stay here for about six more hours, we could try to, to dive into all those. I'm not going to. I can't, you know, you got, you got lunch to be somewhere eventually. But say this enough to say that the word used here in the sixth command uh, is best translated as murder or manslaughter. There's a more generic word for kill. So there's examples in the Bible of self-defense and capital punishment, even war. But suffice it to say, the Old Testament group of people that were God's people, led by God in a very unique way. No nation on earth today can claim that kind of unique divine status. But this, this doesn't, there are exceptions and there's ways that works out. But what we should do as Christians is to say, God, God views life as sacred. So the sixth command doesn't necessarily outlaw every type of ways that lives can be taken. But we want to view all life as sacred. And any time life has to be taken or is taken, it grieves us. It hurts us. We know that's not how it was meant to be. And this comes really drives home when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus picks up this command in the Sermon on the Mount. If you know that sermon, he has this incredibly powerful and convicting section where he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And the very first command he picks up is this one, the sixth command. Matthew 5, 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. Because life has value, he's saying, it's not just that we shouldn't take it. We shouldn't be angry about it. We shouldn't wish it to be dead. Not just that we don't actually take it. If we thought we were making it clear on this command, people say, okay, I got the Ten Commandments, so I can keep the sixth one. No, no, even this one, we are all breaking because we all hold on to anger against our brothers and sisters. Jesus is not making this up. Uh, anger and murder have been connected all the way back from the very first murder in the Old Testament. Cain killed his brother Abel, the very first murder. And we read in Genesis 4, 5 and 6, it says, Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Cain started with anger and it ended in murder. Anger and murder are two points on the same path. And Jesus says, don't even get on the path. Don't even get on the path. Once you get on it, it's hard to stop. Maybe the society laws and the punishments keep you from going all the way down it. But if you're getting on the path, then you're already going against God's intention for his command. There are certain times that we should be angry. We should be angry about things that are unrighteous and unholy. Jesus himself flips the, the tables in the, the market because people have taken God's temple, which is meant to be a house of prayer, and they've made it a place of exchanging money and profit, and they're keeping the Gentiles out of the, the, the outer form of the court. So there is a place for that. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. So there's a place for righteous anger against things that are wrong in our world. But so oftentimes our anger is far from righteous. If you're screaming at a little league umpire, it's probably not righteous. <laughs> if you're yelling at a, at a four-way stop, if you're screaming at the road, it's probably not righteous. We live in a polarized society where, where the media has learned, you know what, everybody likes the feel-good story, but the thing that'll keep you coming back to the news channel, the thing that'll keep you on social media is things that make you angry. They have learned this, that angry, anger sells. And the angrier you get, the more likely you are to click the link, the more likely you are to share the post, and, and there's this sense in our society where we all have this kind of bubbling anger that's right below the surface. And at any moment, if you prick us in the wrong spot, it might explode. Right? We just live in a very angry society. And Christ says, this is not a little, little deal. This is a big deal. He puts it on the level of murder. Because anger and murder are, are two paths, two points on the same path. And he calls us to let those kind of things go. Give them to God. God is God of vengeance. He will repay. God's in charge of justice. We can trust Him to be in control. Our view of people, our view, no matter, no matter how evil, is that their life is sacred. What they're doing is wrong. We can absolutely hate the things people do and say, this is wrong. We can be clear on that. And we can say, your life still matters. Your life still matters. It's not dispensable. And Jesus showed that once and for all in what He did when He came and as He ministered to people. When He came and He met the sick, He healed when he met the blind, he gave sight. When he met the lame, he let them stand up and walk. He came and he gave life to people. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus showed up at a tomb of a man that he loved who had died, a man named Lazarus. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the author of life. John 6.51, he says, I am the bread, living bread that came down from heaven. What's incredible about what Christ did is that in order to give us life, he was willing to die. He knew that all of us have broken this command and all the commands, and that what we deserve for our sin is death itself. And so Jesus, being the gracious, incredibly merciful Savior that he is, was willing to give up his own life, and not in any small fashion. He was willing to be murdered 
He was willing for the sixth command to be broken against him so that he could give us life. Jesus' death is what brings us life. Our life is sacred twice over because God gave us life. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He gave us life. We're created in his image. And Christ died to give us life. Twice over, our life is sacred. Our life has meaning, has value, has, has worth in God's eyes. And I pray in your eyes, because of what Christ has done. Jesus willingly gave up his life so that you and I could have it. So today, as we think about the sixth commandment, think about ways that our world's breaking this command, and thinking about the ways that we're breaking it in our own hearts, it's good for us to come to the Lord's table, isn't it? To remember that Christ was murdered so that you and I could have life. Life is sacred. Life has value. It is not dispensable because of what Christ has done for us. The Lord's Supper is a way for us to remember as Christians what Christ has done for us and to proclaim that His death and His resurrection has washed away our sins. So this meal is a meal for all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Taking this meal is an act of faith. And so if you're here today and you don't yet know the Lord as Savior, we ask that you don't take this meal, not because we don't want to share it with you, but because we don't want to ask you to do something that you don't really believe and that you don't really understand. And so if that's you, if you don't know the Lord as Savior, you can just, let, you can just put your hands up as the server comes and they'll pass by. But this is a meal that expresses faith, that says, I remember what Christ has done, his death on my behalf, and I have put my faith in him. And so for Christians, this is a recommitting, a renewal, a reminder of the faith we have in him. So as we prepare this, this meal together, uh, I would like to, to read a few things for you as, from a variety of, of traditions, and they'll be in the screen as I read them as we prepare to take this meal. Christ calls the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and drink sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. The Lord's Supper declares to us that our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. Those who should come to the Lord's table are those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that the remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and the death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. And I want to lead us in a prayer of confession that I'll read for this. It's on your screen as we prepare our hearts to receive this meal. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.